Hi there. Welcome to Upfront with Canadian NPs. My name is Rachel. This is a podcast where nurse practitioners come together to share, discuss challenges, and inspire. The goal of this podcast is to bring NPs together and build a community in a profession that can often feel isolating. We are here to learn more about NPs working in Canada, why they do what they do, what they love about their jobs, and what inspires them to continue doing the work they do. Today we have nurse practitioner Dr. Elsie Duff, who is kind enough to be our first guest on the show. I had the pleasure of having Elsie as one of my professors, and she has taught many NPs over her 20 years of teaching nurses. Elsie, tell us some of your journey to becoming an NP and where you live and work now. Uh, I began, I guess, uh, more in advanced practice nursing in northern uh, nursing stations and and then uh, started teaching. And as I began teaching nurses, I was teaching northern nurses in primary care. At that time, the legislation and education for nurse practitioners was coming into Canada, across Canada. And I could see that I would need the credentials, both the regulator credentials and the education credentials to teach NPs. So I pursued uh, obtaining my education as an NP and then also my regulatory requirements uh, so that I could teach NPs. That was really my interest was teaching nurse, primary care nurse practitioners. And I can say with certainty that your love for teaching shows in how you approach your classes. So now, what does a typical day look like for you? Well, here I really, I see myself as a dual expertise. So one is a, a clinical component and the other is education component. So on a clinical day, uh, I work in uh, currently, I've always worked in primary care, typically in rural settings or a more of a remote rural type of setting. And those days I like to, to get into the clinic setting early. So in, in my older days we went early enough to do report where we sat face to face and actually converse but nowadays I need to go in early to log into all the multiple screens (laughs) on a computer and go through everything whether there's tasks there or lab results or if I wanted I was thinking about a patient I had seen and wanted to follow up and see what had been done that's my clinic day and then just seeing uh, patients throughout the day my education day, it really, again, would depend on if I'm teaching that day and, and prepping or being ready for students. Mm-hmm. I always, I do like to be early. There is just something about that social aspect early on and uh, conversing or seeing people face to face. Later in my years of teaching, I've become an expert in online education. Mm-hmm. So my preference now is really linking socially online, whether that's through a video um, meeting with everyone or making sure on a Monday morning or uh, during the early part of the class or, or every every week or uh, the beginning of classes is connecting with students personally. So I'll write them a personal email message sometimes or a message through the uh, website and just ask how they're doing mm-hmm. and just building those uh, building relationships with students and then I guess you know being prepped and teaching my my Uh, my content. Uh, Now more so I've really moved into research and uh, 
uh, my day can look quite different depending on what I'm doing, whether that's presenting at a conference, if I'm writing a publication to submit to a journal, writing an inquiry uh, letter to see if they might consider publishing, writing a grant, getting the money, hiring staff. Busy. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> it's, so it's almost like a third expertise altogether. All it's, it's almost managing people and administration yeah, to get sure. research done. So that brings us to our uh, my next question here. So any research you're working on right now or what do, what does your your role look like in that? Yeah, uh, right now I'm uh, I've done a lot of practice analysis studies. So uh, we've looked at the NP's practice in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. And I don't do this solo. I, I network. I have uh, right. colleagues and NP colleagues who are doing this work as well. And currently, so we've completed all of that. We've, we've analyzed the data and we're, we're publishing. And most recently, we just published on uh, controlled drugs and substances and settings where NPs tend to prescribe more often than not uh, using logistical regression and uh, looking statistically looking at some of those relationships. Uh, we have a practice analysis study currently on, uh, going on right now out of Prince Edward Island. And more so, I am going to be looking at sort of the drugs and the prescribing or deprescribing of NPs or opioids, methadone, cannabis, uh, that type of practice in nurse practitioners, what that looks like clinically for them, good outcomes, what are the patient outcomes. And uh, I am invited to participate in uh, Canadian Association of Schools of Nursing um, collaborative group looking at the opioid crisis in Canada with uh, social work and pharmacy and nursing. So outside of the research and, and your teaching role, have you done any, uh, well I guess this could fall into your teaching role actually, any extra training you've done to prepare you for the roles you have as a nurse practitioner? Well again, my dual role in a clinician, being an expert clinician and uh, educator. So as a clinician, whenever the legislation or regulation changes, we've had to take different uh, certifications or courses. Uh, so that would be around methadone prescribing, controlled drugs and substance prescribing. And then clinically, like there's so much legislation around um, what the employer needs the employee to do. So every year I have to recertify in my um, cardiac courses uh, or my workplace health and safety courses okay, yes. and my workplace health and safety the workplace health and safety legislation actually applies in my education role so I need to do my workplace health and safety course in my education institution yeah. and my my clinical so clinically a lot of my certification is around what the regulator requires for practice or the employer requires for practice in my education role I've done uh, different post-secondary degrees and certificates uh, around teaching, teaching adults. So I have a master's, a graduate degree in adult education, specializing in online and distance teaching, and a certificate uh, for teaching graduate students, and my PhD in nursing education. But I also have a graduate degree as a nurse practitioner, which is right. more of a, a regulator <laughs> requirement. So, so I do have a lot of certifications, and, and really it's because I have uh, because I've gone down that road of being a nurse practitioner and an educator, and all of this is required depending on who is in, uh, examining my background, whether it's the regulator, the employ uh, a clinical employer, or 
uh, post-secondary institution. Right. Okay. So where did your, your education certification come into play? So you were a nurse practitioner. You had been teaching at that point and then... Yes, I was teaching. So I, uh, I actually, I finished my graduate degree in, in, uh, adult education and I went right away into my graduate studies for nurse practitioners. Okay. And so I did the two sort of back to back right at that point. Uh, and then because I was working in uh, post-secondary education mm-hmm. and teaching graduate students, I, I could also see if I wanted to stay teaching. And I think you'd said I have a passion for teaching. I you do. I love yes. teaching. I mean, it's really, <laughs> I really excel there. Uh, uh, I could see that, you know, uh, a PhD um, was a doctorate of philosophy was required. And in, in Canada, you know, and I'd really looked, really uh, examined the... Um, Doctorate of Nursing Practice, the DNP, mm-hmm. versus the PhD, the Doctorate of Philosophy. And I also examined whether I would do nursing or whether I would do another background altogether, whether that be education. Here here at this university, you could do community health sciences, you could do interprofessional. For yeah, yeah, for my PhD. And uh, really felt if I was staying teaching in nursing, in faculties of nursing, my nursing doctorate of philosophy would serve me the best in Canada in an academic institution. Okay. So, so um, are you able to speak to what the DNP would would involve then as opposed to the doctorate of philosophy in nursing? That's what you're saying. There's you know, I, I can't, I, to be honest with you, I can't as uh, well right now, but my colleague and I, who holds a DNP, are going to be putting on a seminar of oh, okay. the differences or the similarities and differences and what you might look at in those. So if you'd like to come back and do another podcast on that, we'd, sure, yeah. we'd have, be happy to address that. So what are some of the biggest challenges you have encountered as an NP? Probably some of the the biggest is around the legislation and the, and the acceptance of the scope of practice. So that would be two things there. One is the regulator really working with uh, the nurse practitioners and scope of practice. And in Canada, uh, the uh, free trade agreement, uh, there is a requirement for regulators to really look at jurisdictional reciprocity. So things like um, consistent titles across jurisdictions, consistent practice hours. So that means that you would, you know, if, if you move from one province to the other, that your license in the one province is accepted in the other. In Canada, a lot of the jurisdictions do something different, and it requires uh, nurse practitioners to do a lot of certifying, mm-hmm. re-education, or, or doing something more than what they already have. Depending on that's which province. So I, I'd say that's probably one of the bigger difficulties. The other one is just that maybe acceptance among health professions. So um, when complaints have come forth, it's been really nurses or other health professions uh, raising a concern about nurse practitioners scope of practice and they didn't don't understand that nurse practitioners have the legal scope of practice and the competence and they're safe mm-hmm. um, so it would just be sort of always educating others on how safe effective um, valuable yeah. and legal the legal authority of the nurse practitioner mm-hmm. Name one high you've experienced in your role as an NP. Um, I guess I would have to say my Diamond Jubilee, my Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Award. That I was nominated by nurse practitioners. And uh, 
you know, even now I, I look at that, you can see it's on my wall. And I get really, it's, it's sort of, it's very emotional. It's a very prestigious award. Um, and the thing is, I'm, I'm completely honored, but honored that, like, the nurse practitioners put my name forward for that. And also, you know, in my, you know, accepting the award, I, I wanted, I made mention that I didn't do that alone. You know, they all build me up to who I am today. So where I am today, I thank my NP colleagues and my NP students. So, Name one thing you love about being an NP. I love working with the patients and the nurse in the nurse practitioner. It's the most valuable aspect of the role. And to give you some examples of that is uh, someone who comes into the clinic who doesn't have a drug plan and can't afford the drug that probably should be prescribed for the pneumonia that they have. And, you know, the nurse goes through the different books, bugs and drugs, to see what is the best coverage for the various microorganisms and the least cost and then discusses it mm -hmm. with the patient or really looking at the family circumstances. So you are seeing somebody maybe in a semi-urban setting, but really they have just driven over uh, an hour over gravel roads and it's raining and it's muddy and they, they don't have access to pharmacies and that kind of thing. So when you're explaining any education or treatment for them, you're really taking into, um, you're meeting them where they're at. Where do they live? You know, who, who all lives in the house? How big is the house? And, and that kind of thing. And that's nursing. That's the nurse. Yeah, definitely. That has come through in our nursing in our undergrads and going mm -hmm. into these master's programs. Definitely in the, the people who have taught me as nurse practitioners, it's very evident that they um, value that holistic look at their patients and us not just looking at them coming into clinic, but to mm -hmm. um, really try to meet them, meet them where they're at. And that is also something I love about being an NP. And I got some of that from your from your <laughs> classes, definitely. Well, it's very easy to write a prescription. Uh, well, maybe not very easy. I mean, there's <laughs> clinical reasoning. There's a lot of knowledge and education behind that. Right. But... To hand someone a slip of paper and say, do this, um, takes far less time than really figuring out um, what other aspects are impacting that health or health condition or their ability to become mm -hmm. healthier. Yeah. What is one personal quality that you think helps you thrive in your current role? I, I'm a social person. I, I really appreciate cultivating relationships and, uh, and that, and it takes work, but I enjoy it. And that's with students or with, uh, professional colleagues, with nurse practitioners. Um, I especially thrive in the nurse practitioner community. I, uh, I'm very well connected with the Nurse Practitioner Association of Manitoba. I'm, I engage uh, whenever I can. Uh, I really enjoy going to the conference and seeing all the different nurse practitioners and hearing all the different stories from across the province or doing the networking night. So that would be m the biggest thing to me is that collaboration. You know, mm -hmm. it's collaborative. And, and even outside of nurse practitioners, just really meeting the other health professions and understanding uh, their various scopes of practices, their legal, their legislation, and how that kind of differs from NPs and that type of thing. What inspires you to continue doing the work you're doing? Um, I'm, I've been, I love watching people flourish. So for students, that to me is easy. You know, when they finish uh, the program or 
they present a poster or publish a paper. Um, I just, I'm, I, I'm amazed and they're so proud and I'm so proud. I, I just love, I love that. Love, I love watching the students right from the beginning of the program to, through to the end, like how they grow mm -hmm. in their writing and in their thinking, the diagnostic reasoning, um, their abilities to, you know, to interact with the patient and manage different healthcare problems. So, um, that I thrive on that. I thrive in the Nurse Practitioner Association, just helping advance uh, key things for nurse practitioners uh, to really help patients, really provide patient care in Manitoba, whether that's education sessions or that kind of thing. Okay, Elsie, and you're very passionate about, uh, about being an NP, and um, I'd love to hear more about what you see as the future of the NP role in like 10 or 20 years from now. I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but I can say, you know, the legislation for the legal scope of practice uh, for NPs, the first was 20 years ago. Uh, and, and, and some places it's like 15, 20 years. And we've had education uh, since it, the role reemerged in Canada for 20 years. Legal scope of practice, education. And uh, most NPs ask about why can't we bill, uh, direct bill? So that's really complex. It's complex legislation at the federal level. It's called the health, Canadian Healthcare Accord. And it funds two things. It funds physician services and hospitals. So anything outside of those is funded really by your provincial healthcare dollars, not your federal healthcare dollars. And then there's some other federal funding that is separate from that. So that's the military has health services funded separately from that uh, Canadian Healthcare Accord dollars. First Nations Inuit Health, uh, so different departments like that, the uh, refugees and uh, new immigrants. So the funding for the, changing that health care accord or changing the uh, federal legislation is really complex. And there's multiple groups trying to get the government to amend that legislation and get things funded. Uh, pharmacare, uh, senior services, all kinds of things. So here NPs are sort of in the pool of one of the people, one of the groups advocating to fund direct fund NPs. So for the future of NPs, I really see that the funding is either going to come from provincial, provincial dollars. So everything in the province that's funded teen clinics, public health, uh, possibly public health agency of Canada gives some funding to that. But all of those other departments in healthcare are more than likely provincially funded dollars. So for nurse practitioners to direct bill, I really see the provinces taking that on and uh, allowing that. So in Manitoba, there are four different groups of professionals that can direct bill. Um, the optometrists for under 18-year-old and over 65 eye exams. Uh, pharmacists can for flu vaccines and different uh, vaccinations, very specific vaccinations. Uh, physicians uh, direct bill and uh, chiropractors in Manitoba can direct bill for seven visits. So if there is a will, there is a way because some health professions already have this yeah. ability. And I think there's soon to be an announcement out of one of the provinces in Canada where NPs will be able to direct bill. And I think it's imminent, but uh, that will really change the landscape and the future for NPs in Canada. Having said that, without direct billing, I see the emergence of working for yourself, self-employment. It is exploding in Canada. People are doing all kinds of their own businesses and own business models, much like 
a occupational therapist, a physiotherapist, um, a- any of those groups, massage therapy, all of that, veterinar- veterinarians, you know, they all open their own business and, and, and start a practice. So what's happening in the NP world is two things, is the medical cannabis companies are contracting a lot of them under self-employment to do only, you know, a medical cannabis service. Um, the aesthetics beauty industry, uh, Botox fillers, that is exploding. There are nurses who do infertility clinics. So they're specializing in their niche and there are some that are offering primary care. So the primary care services can, to some degree, they can be paid privately or you can be direct billed through third party payers such as Great West Life, Sun Life, depending if the healthcare plan says, says mm-hmm. such. Right, exactly. So I, I really see the future there probably for NPs. I have uh, different NPs are looking at taking their um, um, psychology degrees because you can direct bill these third party payers. So you would be a prescriber. So they can't prescribe. They have to go tap, tap on someone's door to get a prescription for someone around uh, whatever they're coming for. But an NP would have the prescriptive authority and the other degree to direct bill for the service. So really a innovative thinking outside of the role of what is my provincial government going to hire me for? A primary care role, an emergency uh, nurse practitioner role or that kind of thing. NPs need to think above and beyond that. There's a lot of NPs currently working in the in the opioid crisis and uh, methadone and um, that type of that type of therapy. So where's the societal need? And then creating your own space and and billing accordingly. Oh, and another thing, you know, in creating your own um, business or or uh, industry or working for yourself. Uh, a lot of the trucking, the transportation companies have so many requirements. Well, not just transportation, but a lot of groups like um, the military, um, the RCMP, aviation industry, all those industries require uh, annual physicals. And really taking a proposal forth to a trucking company where you would handle all the uh, physicals or Manitoba public insurance, for instance, requires everyone to have, or certain certain groups of people to have annual physicals, creating your own business, just doing physicals for these companies that are a requirement for people to continue working employment there. The other uh, growing industry in Canada is delivering healthcare through an app. So there's different, there's Wello, W-E-L-L-O, uh, Akira, A-I-K-R-A, but was bought out by TELUS. TELUS is a big one. So this industry is growing huge. So more often than not, it's a third-party payer, like Great West Life, Sun Life, somebody Blue Cross. Um, they contract, uh, employers contract them to offer a service to their employees. So whatever that employer contracts, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, Walmart or Safeway or University of Manitoba, Centerpoint Community College, whoever, says, I would like this package of services for my employees. And, and they are the ones who will say, and I want nurse practitioner services available, or I want to be able to have my employees, if they're sick one day, be able to have services that day. 
Uh, it's then part of the third-party payer package, for the most part right now. This is how it's occurring. So a person is sick that day, and it's not primary care. You're not handling chronic disease or diabetes, hypertension, that kind of thing. But somebody might have a cough or a, a urinary tract infection symptoms or that kind of thing. They buzz into the app or log into the app and say they need to be seen. And usually it's triaged by registered nurses or, or nurses, what have you, triages the call on where it would go and if a prescriber is needed or not. And then depending who they've hired, there's physicians hired, but there's nurse practitioners, predominantly a lot of nurse practitioners. You, the nurse practitioner gets the, the notification that they have a patient to see and they meet the patient all through the app, all secured, all private, all certified already in Canada and approved. You meet your patient on the app, the patient can take a picture of the rash, show you the rash, take a picture of their throat, show you the throat, what have you, you do your history and exam. You can order a lab test, so if you wanted a backup, uh, you know, throat swab or, or a urine test or that kind of thing, you still order the lab test and you can prescribe. And then the employee is hopefully uh, healthier sooner and the employer's really happy yeah. because they have these people at work. So oh, that's wow. uh, really growing. It's it's huge in provinces like um, Ontario and Alberta and other provinces growing across Canada. The other thing that's really growing uh, in different provinces is concierge care. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. So people pay a flat fee. And again, it's comp big companies are often paying it, more often than not for executives. But... Companies are paying a flat fee for every employee per year. And it's more like um, law and that kind of thing. It's a retainer. So you pay $1,000 and you're not sick that year. Well, the money's never used. You happen to get sick that year and you've paid the $1,000. You just go in to your care provider, whether that's an NP or a physician or whoever, and you're seen and you're checked up and your lab tests are ordered and you're followed up. So... That those all those emerging models of healthcare are here, they're out there, and they're growing. And NPs can harness the power of those types of employment situations if they want it. Well, Elsie, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your um, your call to maybe some more out of the box thinking for nurse practitioners in uh, in the country and in the province, and and your expertise was very much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciated uh, doing uh, sharing my knowledge with you. <laughs> some quick announcements. In Manitoba, the NPAM conference is coming to a Viscount Gord Hotel near you, November 15th and 16th, 2019. Register now and even consider renewing your NPAM membership for a bit of a discount. This year's sessions include topics such as contraception, atrial fibrillation, advanced care planning, cannabis, mental health, dermatology, and heart failure. Also, the International Council of Nurses is now accepting abstract submissions for the 2020 networking conference in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Presentation options could be a workshop or a poster, and abstracts are due by November 15, 2019. If you'd like to be involved or know an NP we should highlight, send us an email. Our email, upfrontnp at gmail.com, is in the show notes. We would also like to include any NP-related news or topics of interest, so feel free to send it our way. Thank you so much for joining us.